Good morning, everyone. Kevin here from Skywatcher. Welcome to another episode of the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, where we check out everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks on both visual and imaging. And at the end of the month, we talk to one of our friends who specialize in the field of astronomy and pick their brain about whatever's going on in their world. So um, today we actually, it is the end, I don't know where the year went, but it's the end of August. I say that every time, but yes, it is the end of August. We're about to go into September. Holy crap. Um, so uh, with that actually being said, there are a couple things I'd like um, everyone to know. Number one, uh, our second shipment, the bigger shipment of Star Adventure GTIs arrived this week. So if you have had one on pre-order and you haven't gotten one yet, they are starting to come in. They're starting to make their way out to their owners. So don't freak out. They're coming. So um, just a heads up on that. Uh, the holidays are right around the corner. And if you're looking for equipment, particularly from Skywatcher, um, some of our bigger shipments, the last probably big shipments before we get to the holidays, are starting to arrive in the next right now to the next few weeks. So if you know there's something that you might want to get for the holidays, now is the time to think about that seriously. Um, we have Star Adventurer uh, two eyes that are arriving, a lot of them, uh, the Pro Pack, so you can contact your dealer of choice. Um, but those, there are a ton of those um, that'll be available here soon. So there's some cool stuff that you can actually pick up. <coughs> excuse me. Um, in the next few weeks, um, but now is the time if you're seriously thinking about doing something for the holidays to not wait till December to get it. You'd probably want to do that now. But we do have a lot of cool stuff coming in. Uh, so just a heads up on that. A um, couple other little announcements here and there. Um, whoops. There we go. Uh, you have a couple more days to do the target of the month, the totem uh, target, which you can actually go on our website now, skywatchusa.com, under media, and there is target of the month right there now. Uh, there is 2022's patch. Uh, we do have them uh, right here. So some of you who've already entered, your patch has shipped. Um, thanks for your awesome pictures. We'll probably be displaying those in the What's Up webcast, uh, What's Up for the month. We'll take your pictures, but we do have patches left over, so send them in. Um, again, it's the Soap Bubble Nebula. All the details are up on the website right there and all on how to enter all of that. Um, we do have the Skywatcher Threadless store if you're looking for all kinds of fun swag. We've got some new stuff that's in the works, so you can keep an eye up there, but there's all the Skywatcher shirts and all kinds of junk up there. That you can add for your uh, lineup and lastly uh not to toot my own horn or anything but soul uh the solar observing lab that we're doing in october 22nd um we actually were able to lock down a fair amount of people this week um, with one new addition this morning um so any of you who are looking to attend uh we have two new talks that were added um we have women in astrophotography from the ladies over at stella um so that'll be very cool. That'll be at 10 a.m. And then we have Intro into H-Alpha Solar Imaging by Simon Tang. Um, that's at 1 p.m. That's in the new... We have two speak halls, speaker halls now. So Hall A and Hall B. So we're adding speakers. You can pre-register for talks um, on the website there. Uh, just because you pre-registered for the talk, it basically just saves you a seat inside of the talk. But it doesn't mean you bought a ticket. So you'd have to go buy tickets or wait for the day of. 
um, Star Party. But look who we've got lined up now. Uh, Lunt Solar Systems will be there. Uh, obviously, Skywatcher, Los Mondi, Mount Lemon Sky Center, uh, Astronomy Associate of Arizona, Lowell Observatory, Star Arizona, United States Space Force, Stella. And as of this morning, we have also added um, Astro Hutech and Player One uh, will be, Astro Hutech will be um, representing Player One. Um, which is a new camera company. Actually, Richard's got one. So we'll talk to Richard about that here in a little bit. Very cool company for solar imaging and some other cool stuff. But they uh, will be joining us there. And we have a couple others that are lining themselves up to finalize here shortly. So um, all kinds of cool stuff uh, lining up. We will also be doing a giveaway for door prizes. Um, we've, we're getting some of that put together right now. There'll be some Star Adventure 2i Pro packs in the, the raffle. Um, Celestron StarSense 102AZ, uh, StarSense Explorer, um, some books, some other cool things. So it's really shaping up to be quite a big event. So uh, you can go up there at focusastro.org slash soul. There's purchase tickets. Um, all the proceeds of the tickets go to the Challenger Space Center to help support them in their outreach uh, programs and what they do at the museum there where this is being held. So anyway, there's the update for that. Um, I'll try to keep everything as up-to-date as possible. If you want to know more, you can go over to the website there. Click on the Soul Event PDF. And literally, there's a whole PDF write-up that's being kept up-to-date with all the details of what's happening and everybody who's going to be attending. So um, all kinds of fun stuff there, including parking and all that stuff. So if you want to know more, head over there. Um, come check us out. Say hi to the Skywatcher team as well as everybody else that's going to be on site. So... Now that I chewed up a little bit of time, I'm going to go ahead and bring up one of my best friends in the astronomy industry, uh, Mr. Richard Wright. So, good morning, Richard. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Thanks for having I me I like on. how you've got the horse head shot, but it's actually, it's the Richard head nebula. It's the Richard the, head. Yeah. <laughs> There's the target for the next month, the Richard <laughs> head nebula. Oh, um, it is hot how's and it, gaseous, so... <laughs> Full of gas. <laughs> Full of gas. As you will find out over the next hour, there's a lot of hot air in this room. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, um, so for those of you who haven't met Richard, Richard, you've been in the industry for a while working with different companies. Mm -hmm. You're a programmer. You're a writer. You're an imager. You're an observer. You've kind of got a lot of things going on. but I do it all. Um what got you into astronomy to start? Oh, uh, first grade trip to the planetarium. Been obsessed with uh, astronomy ever since. Uh, ever since. Um, first telescope was a Kmart Focal, which was a off, which is a rebranded Tasco refractor, a little sixty millimeter refractor. I still have it. It's horrible trash Christmas scope, but you know it's all I could afford at the time. Um, and actually it was a gift from my wife when we were dating. Uh, so it was, um, that was 2019, maybe, uh, yeah, very, very long time ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, started with that. And, um, even though it was a terrible telescope, it was a telescope and I made the most of it. I learned to split double stars and how to find things in the sky. And, you know, they say if, if you get somebody, one of these telescopes, they'll get frustrated um, I think there's certain people who have a gene who's like, yeah, but you know, it's better than what Galileo had. And, mm -hmm. um, I learned a lot 
uh, from using it. I learned the value of a good mount. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot. I learned you need to go someplace dark to see things and so forth. And I, I upgraded, I found I used um, Edmund Scientific four and a quarter, four and a half inch mirror. And I wrapped electrical tape around those little 0.96 eyepieces to make them fit in the, in there because it didn't have any eyepieces. It was like mm -hmm. $50 in a used camera store. It was horrible. Um, and that was a huge leap uh, for me. And um, I'd always been writing astronomy software, like even in high school, I was writing astronomy software for like my TI-99 4A and Commodore 64. At some point in time, I finally, uh, I got a job at Starry Night uh, for a short time working on uh, their astronomy software, like real commercial astronomy software. And um, they got bought up and the dot-com bubble burst and I landed at Software Bisque and I spent uh, about 20 years at Software Bisque, both part-time and full-time. I've always been doing, I always have like three jobs at the same time. Um, but I did work full-time for them for a while and soft uh, and part-time for them most of the time that I worked for them. But I got to do a lot of imaging, um, got to write plugins for cameras and uh, started, you know, I had to buy my own telescope. So I've, I've been through the whole, you know, start with something cheap and then you realize it's, you get what you pay for and eventually you get real snobby and you only want the, the good stuff. But, um, you know, so I went through all of that and I got to go to star parties when I was at Software Bisc, you know, to represent them and meet all the vendors. So that was great. And then about it's been six years, seven years now. I started writing for Sky and Telescope regularly. And so I'm a contributing editor for Sky and Tell now. So I've always got two or three projects for them in the pipeline. Uh, so uh, I did step away from Software Bisque, um, uh more or less officially um, a little less than a year ago. Uh, I've gone back to high tech. So I've got a great job at a company called Lunar G. And we specialize in GPU technologies despite their name they don't do anything astronomy but um i am still doing astronomy software uh i just uh, i did a free uh, a freebie for the um daystar quantum if you have one you can control it on something other than windows now and it's open source so you can get the software uh and compile it for linux it does compile and run on linux and um Mac and Windows. Uh, in fact, I built I built it for the Sky Fusion, so I can control the quantum from from the fusion. Because I I like solar imaging, but I hate standing in the sun. So I don't want to be out there pushing buttons. I want to be you know away somewhere. And then I did a yeah, little doodad. You and I have the the European genes. Yeah, we don't do yeah. well in the sun. I'm in Florida and you're in Phoenix, so there can't be two worse places to live for solar astronomy. Um, and I've done the little um, scope wizard for you guys, a uh, little astronomy calculator for iOS and Android, and there's desktop versions. And I have some stuff in the oven for astronomy. I've got an observing tool and uh, a couple of imaging tools all kind of being done simultaneously. Um, so nothing to talk about because, you know, a couple hours a night and a few hours on the weekends, it takes a while to start from scratch because, you know, it's not like I can. At Software Bisc was great. You know, I was standing on the shoulders of giants there. So it's like, you know, I put a whole new front end on the sky. Yeah, but I put a front end on the sky. You know, I had all of that stuff. Um, so, you know, you've got to and I'm not going to I'm not going to try to compete with them either. The sky is is, is still awesome and um, 
you know, it's got hundreds of man years in it. But there's a, some niches, uh, some things that I wish I had, and I think some other people would like to have. And so uh, working on that. Uh, still imaging. Now that the pandemic is over, I'm starting to go back to star parties again. Saw you at the Grand Canyon star party. Spent a week out there. Mm -hmm. That was great. And that looking, was fun. Yeah, looking forward to... Um, I got a really nice vacation package with the new you know, high-tech job. So winter star party, going there, planning to go to the Texas star party again. Uh, so... You know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I was into astronomy and astrophotography long before I went to Software Bisque, so I'm not going anywhere um, in that regard. And I've got a lot to say, as you said, a lot of hot air. So writing for Sky and Telescope gives me a chance to do that. And eventually, in the near future, I'll be a software vendor again in the Astro. There you go. So. I did think it was funny at Grand Canyon because it was the first star party we had both been to in a long time. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I had my 28-inch out to a seriously dark sky. And I got to borrow my buddy's night vision system, which I have. And we're doing an episode, I think, next month about night vision astronomy. And, by the way, if you're in Tucson, I will be at Star Arizona's little star party in the front next or tomorrow night um, with the 28 and the night vision. So if you're in Tucson, stop by Star Arizona and come take a look at it. But I, I remember talking to you about getting the night vision system because it was pricey it's like well you know nah, maybe not richard and i talk all the time bounce ideas off of each other i had to run back to the room and i was like here richard here's the 28 i'll be back in like 45 minutes and i came back and you were still in the same spot when i got back <laughs> and you're just glued to the eyepiece and I, that's when you turned around it's like if you don't buy this i'm gonna smack you so. <laughs> i was on the lagoon you could uh, just exploring the lagoon it was amazing uh, to, and to be honest, I did go off to the Triffid and then came back to the Lagoon before you came back. But the Triffid uh, and the twenty-eight with an H alpha filter at Grand Canyon with the night vision. It was insane. Yeah, I've I've been observing for a lot of years, and that was a unique. That's a unique experience when you put a night vision scope in a in a scope that big. Uh, you see things you've never seen before. You see things visually you you never noticed in your photographs, uh, and it and it has. The dynamic range. So, you know, the human visual system is not a camera. Um, the, and this is why I still do uh, a lot of a, a lot of Im uh, a lot of visual astronomy. The computer screen cannot produce the same dynamic range that the eye can can see. And so there are things in a telescope that look better than any camera and any monitor is going to be able to produce for probably another decade. And the the ghostly ethereal appearance of uh through that night vision scope is unparalleled it is it is a unique experience you can't get it uh anywhere else and you can't capture it uh you have to you have to look you have to look through it and see it uh for yourself and um yeah i was not gonna let that i was not gonna let that opportunity just you know go by uh like I have, I have a twenty-eight inch telescope. I'm gonna use it until he prize it from my prize it from my cold fingers. <laughs> okay. You can no, it was. It was so speaking of, we talk about gear all the time, and you have like a unique perspective because you know we both do because we both work in the industry and we're friends with a lot of companies, so we get to play with a lot of stuff, and mm -hmm. I think we both like to share that 
experience with people as much as possible and the knowledge that we get from having that um i know i talked a little bit ago that uh player one was going to be represented at seoul you have a player one camera now i do Um, yeah yeah what are i have yet to see one i know everyone talks about it the 174 was like the camera um to have for solar imaging but Mm -hmm. now what you have i think is the new camera i didn't know what your thoughts were on player one cameras in comparison this is the apollo max uh they make a little uh fan that you can put on the back to cool it off has nine micron pixels so it's great for solar uh imaging and there's an extra wire hanging i'm doing a little science fair project i've got a peltier cooler that i wedged between the fan and the and the camera and i i've only had it for a few weeks um it just happened to be on my desk and I've been using it every day, but I haven't used it under the, I haven't used it outside yet. <clears throat> and if you're trying to read between the lines to figure out what I might be working on, I guess this is about as big a hint uh, as you can get. Um, the, I've been characterizing the camera, of course. It's very clean. I love the SDK. So I, you know, I, I don't like to tell people what kind of cameras they should go get. There's lots of great cameras on the market, and, uh, you know, especially when I was at, at Bisco is pretty much the hardware liaison with the with all the vendors. So like I can't say that this is my favorite thing. But you Man, can you tell S Bigs and yeah. QSI and FLI. You, I mean you had major cameras. Yeah, you, you can tell what I use all the time. Uh, people would come down, I've got a dark sky site down in Okeechobee and the neighbors would come over and they go, You got one of those cameras? Do you like that? And to them I'd go, No. I said, just because you see it on my scope, I might be working on something. I'm probably working on software and I need to do some test shots with it. But just because you see me using it doesn't mean I like it. But if I show up at a star party, um, you know, time after time after time at a star party, I've got an FLI or I've got a Starlight Express or, you know, this or that. You can tell those are the cameras that, you know, are the most reliable um, and that I like to use. And I can usually judge the quality of, uh, of a camera by how much work they put into the software aspect the software engineering you know hardware is useless uh if you got a nice tesla and you and you and you root it you know you brick the computer in it you can't use it what good does it do um and there's there are hardware companies that they make great hardware and they find somebody's nephew or something because you know the software is not important and those cameras are terrible uh they lock up all the time or you can't you can only use one camera at a time because they're not thread safe and so you know, it, what impresses me is how good is your software developers kit? How good is the software? And, you know, companies like QSI, uh, at least the old QSI, uh, FLI, they've got really rock solid, you know, industrial grade software engineers who make really good uh, software for it. But I found the same thing is true of ZWO. Uh, I found the same thing is true of um, of Player One. Their, their SDK really... Um, is very well done. Their, their, their developers are very responsive to questions. Um, and I don't have any trouble trying to do something clever with the camera. The, you know, if you color outside the lines a little bit, you say, you know, if I do this, I could probably get a couple more frames per second. And the software, and it holds up. Uh, so I like that. I'm, I'm very impressed. Um, I also know some behind the scenes stuff that, that I probably shouldn't share. But I think they're a, I think they're a solid company, and I think they have a solid hardware product. 
Um, they're a small company, so, you know, they may have some, there may be some issues with, you know, supply and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, getting, getting help and that sort of thing. But I know that they've got a good foundation. Um, and I, I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I, I paid for this one myself. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate telling somebody else to, um, to get one, to get one either. So I have to try one out. Yep. I'll have to see what they're like at yep. Seoul. Cause now that they'll yep. be there, we'll mess around with it. Um, what was I going to ask? Yeah, you, you and I share the same remote site out at mm -hmm. Skies Away too, and we have the ZWO sixty two hundred, which I remember when we switched out our older cameras to that. You and I were looking at the data, and it was like, oh my god, this yeah. sensor is nuts. So yeah, I I was I used to give talks about how <laughs> CMOS is catching up with CCD, and quit quit think, quit calling catching up the same as caught up. It's like, you know, the CCD still has a lot of advantages. CMOS is great. There are a lot of great things about CMOS, but there's trade-offs. Um, and the first CMOS sensor that I ever used that I felt was, okay, it, the game is now over. That was the 455. The, that, that chip, there's, it's linear enough, you know, to do science with and to do, cal you know, to do proper uh, flat fielding. Uh, the the um, the amp glow uh, is is it wasn't actually amp glow it was other electronics not the amplifiers but that's another that's another blah 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 uh, that's you know that's well controlled uh, to where it's it's virtually not there a lot of people we have no amp glow we have no amp glow and I get the camera and I'm like well, what are you talking about you have no amp glow how did would, you know if you stretch it right you can't see it uh, but but it's there and it affects it has an effect. Um, but that 455 is nice. I've also used its little brother, um, the smaller APC size one, uh, the monochrome version of that. A friend had one. He said, yeah, here, use this for a couple of nights and see what you think. I was impressed. Um, you know, I uh, now that I have to buy my own cameras, <laughs> I think that may be my next one, uh, that, that sensor. Uh, that or the big one. I haven't decided yet. Uh, but well, now the big one's the 411 or the 461. So yeah. Yeah, there's the APS-C, which is the 571, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and then there's 455, which is full frame, and then there's the 461, which is medium format, 100 megapixel, um, which once Richard and I can attest to this, um, there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, I need one of these 455 sensors. It's like the cameras are not that spendy. I mean, they're about four grand for them. That's, so it's an investment, that's for sure. Um your computer better be damn well ready to handle that camera because the it's processing that that thing needs is a lot. My computer that's running right now has 64 gigs of RAM on it, and it plows through that data, but I couldn't imagine doing it with some, like, oh, I'm still running Windows XP laptop that would just explode. So, Yeah, it's a lot of data. It's a lot of data, and especially if you're... You know, if you're trying to do short exposures, you know, you might have, yeah, it's it's a lot of data. I don't like to guide. Uh, that's another topic. Uh, but at, at our remote site, like I could just do shorter exposures and not guide. But then I have a terabyte of data to download. And so it's like, no, I'm going to guide just because I don't want, I, I need fewer longer exposures for no reason other than the, the throughput to download from the from the site. So. Oh, someone was asking the 533 
533 is a good little camera too mm -hmm. it's kind of the little brother to all of those um, yeah. and i think it gets overlooked quite a bit by the the 571 based cameras because mm -hmm. you know for about a thousand dollars more you're getting a much bigger piece of real estate which a lot of people want nowadays um but yeah if you're on a tighter budget and you want to use smaller filters the 533 based cameras are very nice and you can get away with inch and a quarter filters on that chip mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know they're like 900 bucks and now they have a monochrome version which is awesome but um yeah if you play with the yeah. big cameras i can't even imagine the five six the four six one medium format that take forever to transfer the files from the remote site for that yeah um but this brings up an interesting thing that you and I, Richard, have talked about quite a bit. All these new cameras have really tiny pixels. And it really has kind of changed the game where everyone's like, oh, hey, I need a big, long focal length Cassegrain, or I need this. And it's really kind of flipped the game upside down to where if you're trying to match pixels and get things to look as sharp as possible, it doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're doing something specific to need these big, long scopes. And I know you and I have had conversations about what scopes we think are probably best suited for modern-day imaging, and I know you have some major opinions <laughs> on certain designs of telescopes that I think I agree with for the most part. But I didn't know if you wanted to... What your thoughts are for modern-day imagers for, you know modern cameras modern day imagers and like telescopes to match to the modern camera yeah if if you're shopping for a camera you should you should definitely pair the camera with the optic uh you know a really long focal length uh should have larger pixels and a shorter focal length should have smaller pixels and you know the nice thing about uh some of the a lot of the newer optics you know cameras have come a long way but optics are also evolving uh, not as quickly as cameras, but, you know, between now and 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 when I bought my Meade LX2000, you know, things have changed a lot. Um, nobody should be doing deep sky imaging at F10 with, you know, unless you've got, you know, 12 micron pixels or, or something. Um, faster focal ratios, not only do they concentrate the light, but they have smaller spot sizes. So you can take advantage of those smaller pixels. You can't put, you know, a long focal length with a big focal ratio. You're only going to get a spot size so big from the optic. Now, I'm not even talking about the seeing. You know, the, the atmosphere is going to be turbulent, and it's not going to support small pixels either. So if you've got good atmosphere, well, you also need a good small spot size with your optic. And the faster the focal ratio, the smaller um, the, smaller the spot size, or the more resolution you're going to get uh, out of that. You can't put tiny pixels on the back of a Schmidt Cassegrain um, in, for deep sky work, I should say, um, and get you know get get good crisp images. Now, if you're doing planetary, lunar, solar, and you're doing lucky imaging, um, that whole there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes into play with that. But for deep sky long exposures, you're not you know, you're not you're not going to get it. Uh, so if you have those tiny pixels, you're going to have to bend. Uh, a little bit. In fact, our our remote site at Brian's, um, when when we were were paired, we got an Esprit 150, and we've got those tiny pixels. And I'm like, I bet we end up bending a lot, but the seeing is so good there uh, that we don't have to bend uh, very often. Uh, so you know, you got to take 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 everything into account. Just um, uh, 
it is nice to have that capability to run one by one and then jump to two by two but if you're already yeah. running at two by two and you've got to go to three by three or four by four yeah chewing that up real quick there's so. some nights you should just go yeah i'm calling them a night it's nice yeah. and clear uh i should be doing nightscapes or really wide uh you know really wide field but you know you can do a lot people think they they want to especially people have got a little disposable income they buy the biggest telescope they can afford because it's impressive looking and um you know you can do amazing work with an 80 or 100 millimeter you know refractor on deep sky objects you know most of the things that we're shooting are not that tiny in the sky to where you need huge focal length and a small tele a small telescope with a high resolution camera uh can get you you know photos like that uh you know from a small you know from a small instrument uh so bear that in mind plus big instruments are you know they're, they're hard the one the best camera is the one you have with you the best telescope is the one you feel like dragging out uh, yeah you know i just think it's interesting how we still you still see some major companies that are like oh in order to to our best system for doing astrophotography is this 1500 millimeter cassegrain or you see all these affordable RC telescopes that are available on the market nowadays from multiple manufacturers. It's actually one manufacturer. Just slap your name on it um, if you really want to know the reality of it. Um, I understand why they're there. Um, and I know people take nice images through them. But it's kind of odd to me how these longer focal length telescopes are out there and being marketed. But the company that's really driving the astronomy hobby at this moment, I would say is Sony. Um, yeah. <laughs> as far as astrophotography yeah. on what yeah. picks, what chip they're going to come out with. And you have these bigger and bigger chips and smaller and smaller pixels that it doesn't make sense. Or it's like, I'm going to go buy an eight inch RC. It's like, why? Stop it. Do, yeah. Do you Stop hate it. yourself? Like, Stop which it. is funny because, the same people who say that, like, I don't want to buy a Newtonian, I have to collimate it. It's like, have you ever messed with hyperbolics before? So, um, just okay. get a refractor. Or... Let, me, let me get on my soapbox. The best telescope is a refractor. I think that that's my favorite. I love refractors. Um, I've been through, you know, $10 refractors to $10,000 refractors. And yeah, a $10 telescope is, is, is not going to... It's not going to get you very much. A refractor is a really great beginner telescope because you don't have to collimate. It's very simple. You just put a camera on the back and you move it back and forth to get focus. And uh, the only thing you have to do is keep do off the front of it. When you're a really advanced imager and you really care about uh, contrast, you're still going to want a refractor. You're just going to buy a more expensive refractor. But you're going to go from buying cheap refractors to buying more expensive refractors. Uh, I think it's, I think it is the, the single best, um, best thing. I, I have like six of them myself. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit, I'm a bit biased, but, but being biased doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just makes being right more fun. Um, <laughs> my, my second favorite is, uh, is a Newtonian and we should almost stop there. Um, you know, a Newtonian telescope with a, with a, with a, with a coma corrector, uh, is a is a great instrument if you need more if you need more aperture and you get these nice little diffraction spikes you know on the stars, uh, they're great. More people shape people look at them and they go, well, that's a beginner scope because they're cheap. They're not cheap. They're just inexpensive. Spend more and get one of those fancy mirrors, you know, with a, a hundredth of a wavelength correction and a really nice focuser on it. That's that's high end, uh, but uh, you know, uh, 
I have a I have a twelve inch refractor. Uh, I mean a twelve inch um, uh, Newtonian. Say, when did this happen? No, no. I have a twelve <laughs> inch twelve inch uh, Newtonian. It, it's your twelve inch Quattro, in fact. And I love that thing, other than it's really big and heavy. But it's a great telescope. It produces uh, images at, at, that is higher quality as I could possibly want out of a imaging Newtonian. I can get out of out of that refractor. Um, I do have something more exotic. I've got the Riccardi Honders from Affacina Solari. That was my first uh, really expensive scope. It's exotic because it's F3, but you know you can get a you can get a reducer now and get and I can shoot F3 with the Quattro for uh, a lot less money. Uh, it's just the nice thing about the Veloce is it's it's smaller, but um, I don't think there's any reason to buy a big RC. Uh, unless you have an observatory, perhaps. I hate them. I hate RCs. I don't mind saying it. And they're impossible to collimate. I can't collimate an RC. I've had I've had uh, I've had one that wasn't mine. Um, and I got some beautiful work out of it one time. But if you put it in the car and you move it, it needs to be recollimated. Uh, it's just it's a it's you know why people buy RCs? I mean you're gonna get hate mail for this. They're beautiful. They're beautiful, sexy-looking telescopes, and I want a beautiful, sexy-looking telescope to show off. So I'm going to buy one of these Truss RCs. Somebody was making Truss uh, Newtonians. Get one of those instead. They're much easier to manage and to collimate, and you're going to get better images from them, and they look sexy too. Uh, but RCs, I don't think, I don't think there's any point in an RC other than somebody said, "Let's build a sexy-looking telescope." People will want to buy. Um, you know, and if you've got an observatory with a big plane wave, fine, that's great. But stop buying them for your backyard. Uh, and there's probably somebody watching right now saying, well, I got one and I collimate it. It's not that big a deal. And that that's fine. If I ever run into you, I'll pet you on the back and buy you a beer. But it's not for me. Uh, I just I don't like I don't like I don't like RCs. My second least favorite telescope are Schmidt Cassegrain's. Um, and I'm talking about a real Schmidt Cassegrain. Fighting not, words. Yeah, no, I'm not. And I'm not, I'm talking about real Schmidt Cassegrains, not like a, 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 an Edge HD, uh, you know, Celestron. Those things aren't Schmidt Cassegrains. Those are. We took a Schmidt Cassegrain and we fixed it. Uh, and Mead did the same thing with with their telescopes. They don't. I don't think Mead even sells real Schmidt Cassegrains anymore. Schmidt Cassegrains have one purpose in life, and that's to shoot planets. They're only good right in the middle of the field. And if you got a little bitty planet in the middle of the field at F10 or F20, because you could put a Barlow in there, then more power to you. Uh, if that's all you're interested in, that's that is actually like the perfect optical design. They're cheap, they're large, and they do great on little tiny things in the middle of the field. Uh, but for deep sky, you got to flatten that out. Uh, they're not good on the moon uh, because if you want a big field, uh, it's it's terrible. Um, uh, if if you get a an Edge HD or something. Those are great, but they're still F10, uh, which nobody should be shooting deep sky at F10. It's 2022 for crying out loud. Um, get yourself a reducer you, and shoot at F7 at least, uh, and and or someone go to six uh, six three now. Uh, and that's that's a that's a lot more that's a lot more reasonable. So the the Schmidt it looks like a Schmidt Cassegrain. Those are fine. I have no beef with those. But a real Schmidt Cassegrain, I have no beef with those either. Um, if you're shooting planets, but even for planets, I prefer a Schmidt Cassegrain. I mean, a a, a Matt Cassegrain instead. Um, you know, if you get a big, if you get a big Schmidt Cassegrain, you slew from here. Okay, I shoot Jupiter. Now I want to shoot Saturn. Wait, we got to recollimate it because we moved and the and the mirrors moved around. 
Um, I don't want to fool with all that either. Um, when I see some good work, you know, uh, Crisco or Damien Peach, they produce these great images, and I know they got like a big 14-inch. It's a real Schmidt Cassegrain. It's perfect for that. And I'm not only impressed because it's a beautiful image, but I'm impressed because I know how much work had to, had to go into it uh, to get that uh, image. Yeah, if you've ever hung out with Christopher Go when he's actually trying to image something, he's meticulous. Well, you have to everything. be. Yeah, it's you have nuts to be. how much detail Chris puts in. But it pays off. You see what his work does. But I've been to events where Chris is imaging. And mm -hmm. again, he's extremely meticulous about the sensor being clean and the filters being clean and the scope being dead on, you know, collimated and cooled and like every. But that's why his images are some of the best in the world. Exactly. Exactly. It's hard work. Nobody wants to. No photographer wants to be told, wow, you must have a nice camera. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I I agree with that. I think Newtonians get overlooked quite a bit, and mm -hmm. a lot of people are freaked out because it's like, oh, they're fast and they're hard to collimate. I have a 28 inch f 33 now. It is no harder to collimate that than a an f eight Skywatcher daub. Doesn't matter. Just get, get a good collimator tool, and that's it's it. So. The first, the first um, imaging Newtonian I bought was horrible, and it burned me out. I hated Newtonians for a while, uh, which me, which is a good example. You know, I can change my mind given new, given new information experience. I will change my mind over, over the course of time. But I hated Newtonians, and it's because I bought a three hundred dollar eight inch Newtonian, and it wouldn't hold collimation. In fact, I had a friend of a friend who wrote a book on collimating. He couldn't collimate it. He's like, this thing is uncollimatable. You, you need to tear it apart and rebuild it. Um, and that, that burned me out. Uh, but later on in life, I tried Newtonians again. And oh my gosh, if you've got a good collimator, get a Hotec collimator, you center the laser. All right. It's not that hard. There's a bright dot. Adjust everything to the dots in the middle of the mirror. Then you go to the other end and adjust everything to the bright dots in the middle of the little doodad. And you're collimated. You're ready to go. It doesn't matter whether you're shooting at f6 or four or three. Um, you know, it's just just center that dot, and you're going to be, uh, and and you're good to go. So yeah, Newtonians are actually pretty easy to collimate if you've got a decent Newtonian, mechanically speaking, and if you've got a decent collimator uh, to do it with. You got to have the right tools. But if you've got the right tools, they're not that hard to collimate. And I. I, had a, I have a horrible time collimating. I was just complaining about how I couldn't collimate an RC. So that's like a graduate level course in collimations, collimating one of those main things. But it makes um, all these 1200 millimeter and down telescopes now that are on the market that are all over the place. Mm -hmm. That's where you need to be for the modern day camera. All these 3.8 micron pixels, it's like they match perfectly to anything that's about 1200 and shorter. So yeah. 533, 571, 455. If you have a telescope that can illuminate the 461, um, you need to be about 1,200 and shorter. Mm. And that's where all these cameras are happy at. But that's where the, a lot of the telescopes are going. That's why I think Newtonians, people haven't gravitated to them yet. Some people have. But it's like, well, I really want a fast, well-corrected telescope and there's all these exotic designs that you can spend tens of thousands of dollars on or there's the newtonian and yeah. or the coma corrector and you call it a day you're at f4 you could get a star zone nexus to make it f3 or whatever mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. boom 
You're done. done. You're done. Put a nice focuser on it. You know, for under probably $2,000, you can have a ridiculously fast setup. Yeah. But it's, and it's, it matches to your pixels. It's hard to talk people out of the idea. I want a poster-sized image of the Ring Nebula. And you're not going to get that unless you are in outer space or on the top of a mountain. You are not going to get a poster-sized picture of the Ring Nebula from your backyard. You just cannot, you cannot magnify. It, it's like they, our atmosphere is like looking into a swimming pool and there's stuff at the bottom of the swimming pool and the water is moving around and you, everybody, everybody knows this analogy, right? You've seen the, the, the stuff at the swimming pool dancing around. That's what you're doing when you're doing astrophotography. And the more you magnify, the worse that effect becomes, uh, which is why for lucky imaging, we take, you know, a, a thousandth or a hundredth of a second exposure. Uh, we try to beat that turbulence. But for deep sky, you have to expose a long time. And that turbulence is just smearing all that stuff all over the place. Now, the day may come where we can use lucky imaging on deep sky targets. Um, but that day is not next weekend. Uh, and there's nothing on the market you can buy right now that's going to that's gonna get you there. Uh, so, you know, expect some, you know, a lot of deep sky objects are actually fairly large. And, you know, 1,200 millimeters with small pixels and a fast focal ratio will get you beautiful images of uh, almost anything, uh, you know, that, that you've seen photos of that you'd like to reproduce. They weren't taken by the Hubble Space Telescope at, you know, some crazy focal length or on the top of Mount Lemmon with a giant telescope. Yeah, you want something that's going to be obtainable for your lifestyle. And, you mm -hmm. know, you want the telescope to work for you and you don't want it to take over. So... Obviously, for those who have the plane waves and the observatories or the big RCs, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Plane waves are easier to collimate than an RC because they're CDK designs. Um, there you go. But uh, there is a time and a place for all of those. Or you just go all the way and get a plane wave delta row and just be 14 inch F3. But yeah. as if Richard you... and I joke, if you have the means. So... If you have the means, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say things that people go, maybe uh, we'll talk about cameras. Like, I got, maybe I should sell my camera. No, don't sell your camera. If you got it and it works for you, it's fine. And if you've got an RC and it works for you and you're happy with it, it's fine. But if you've got an RC and you've been struggling with it, stop. Just stop right now. Sell it at a loss on Astromark to some other uh, guy who doesn't know any better. And, and get yourself a, a refractor or an imaging Newtonian. Um, you know, and, you know, when it comes to when it comes to quality gear, you know, the opt a lot of things can make up for optics that aren't super, super pristine. Pay attention, spend your money on the focuser, uh, spend your money on the mount, um, you know, on the construction of the of the Newtonian. Uh, you know, obviously you want something like a Skywatcher Quattro. They're well built and easy to collimate. They hold collimation, um, you know, don't. Uh, but. Those RCs, a friend of mine, I, I knew a guy, I, well, yeah, I know a guy who goes from telescope to telescope to telescope. And he has a Rasa, and I'm like, okay, well, he's selling the Rasa now because he just keeps going through things. He's like, I was looking at an RC, and I was like, no, not for you. I, I know you too well. Um, anything that is really difficult or you have to work at, he, he ends up giving up on. Uh, it's like, no, don't get an RC. I don't even want an RC. If somebody gave me a free RC tomorrow, I'd put it on Astromart the next day. It just, I have no, no. I, I've got plenty of stuff that does really good work. 
And if I had a whole bunch of money and I was going to build a big observatory, I still probably wouldn't put an RC in there. Yeah. Anyway, Tech we, should probably, we should probably AD. move on from that dead yes. horse. Yeah. Too many just... other really good options that still look sexy. Stop buying telescopes because they look sexy. Buy something that, that works well and uh, is, is, you know, will get you buy a decent tool. Uh, you're gonna see. get so much hate mail so am probably I. we've so only am. talked about like two major topics this morning you, that's okay trash talking rcs yeah um uh, so we've got about 15 minutes left so if you've got questions now is the time to probably throw them in here i know there's one for you richard it's uh richard i enjoyed the blogs you used to post at software bisque are you currently posting blogs elsewhere um sort of uh i started i I started I started blogging at Sky and Telescope. I did about 50 monthly blogs for them. They're still up. If you search for Imaging Foundations, there's about 50 beginning imaging blogs on the Sky and Telescope website. Um, one of the editors said, why are we giving Richard stuff away for free? So we quit doing the website, and now I just write more often for the magazine. I am starting a new blog. I have a website called uh, eveningshow.com. And I'm going to be blogging there about astrophotography. And I have another website where I'm going to start blogging about um, more developer sort of things. So when I start, when I actually ship a product, I'll start blogging about the product and about the development of the product and some of the technologies and, and things like that. But eveningshow.com uh, is sort of an astrophotography, here's my latest pretty picture sort of thing. Astrophotography techniques. I'm still mostly going to be writing about that in the magazine. Um, you know, some plus I've, you know, if you just go back and you look at the 50 blogs on imaging foundations, there was a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there. And how many, how many blogs can you write about the difference between seeing and transparency? Uh, you know, it, it stands up pretty well. And then evening show is just about the, astro oh, you know, the other one, uh, it's called, it'll be called accidentalastro.com. Um, some of the BISC blogs were about, you know, going to star parties and doing this and that. There may be some, uh, there may be some of that on the Accidental Astro blog, but I haven't really, it's there, it exists. You go look, look for it right now. It exists, but it's not like, it's, it's not really ready yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for prime You're time. working on it. Uh, yeah. Working on it. So part-time Astro guy now, full-time GPU expert. <laughs> um. I don't have any other questions floating in the chat at the moment, but is there for modern day astrophotographers who are getting started? Um, is there anything that you would like recommend to a beginner nowadays on like an approach on how to get going on things? Yeah. If you're, if you're into photography already, get yourself a, a sky tracker and start shooting at longer focal lengths. The star adventurer, uh, GTI is pretty nice for that. You can put a 300 millimeter camera lens on it. It's like a little mini telescope and that works great. If you really want a real telescope, uh, get yourself an 80 millimeter refractor and a reducer. And um, you can start with the DSLR. Uh, if you could get yourself a cooled camera, there's a world of difference between a cooled camera and an uncooled camera in terms of the noise. Uh, so you get a lot better results. My most unpopular advice is to go with monochrome first. Everybody wants color pictures, but processing color pictures is really hard. 
uh, I love monochrome imaging, not just a monochrome with RGB filters, but just shoot luminance galaxies. Um, I've done amazing. I've gotten amazing results shooting galaxies in my backyard, shooting just with the luminance filter. Uh, you can get lots of contrast and amazing uh, high resolution galaxy images, black and white with a luminance filter in a light polluted location. Um, you just, the color, trying to do color is next to impossible. Uh, get yeah, your, you're, it, yeah. you're composing, you're literally yeah. doing three elements. So you have yeah. red, green, blue. You have to mess with all of that and where monochromes you, need to be controlled. Use a, use a light pollution filter as your luminance filter and still shoot black and white. Next, I would get a HA filter and shoot emission objects in hydrogen alpha. Uh, those are, um, you know, those are, those are great. If, um, if you're more interested in the moon or the planets, uh, it's a really different equation. You do want more focal length for that. You need a high speed camera, um, you know, two off the top of my head, player one and ZWO make great high speed cameras for that kind of stuff. You want a Schmidt Cassegrain. If you're only interested in planets, uh, that's a very economical way to go. Uh, I like, I really prefer uh, Max or Mac Cassegrain because uh, I like to shoot the moon uh, and you get a larger corrected field with those. And they're also a lot less trouble to um, the colony. Uh, I've also, you know, I've gotten surprisingly good results from, from the, on the planets and the moon with a six inch refractor as well. Uh, works, you know, under good conditions. I live in Florida, so we have really good seeing stable skies during the winter. During the summer, I can't shoot at all. Uh, but in the winter, we have really good we have really good skies for that. Uh, but start with a short focal length. Uh, don't skimp too much on the mount. Uh, short focal lengths are very forgiving of your mount's tracking, uh, very forgiving of you know bad polar alignment, those sorts of things. So start with start with something um, a short focal length and and don't be afraid of a fast focal ratio. Those are fun. The Rosses f two the nice the rosses are really fun for a while and then you notice that the edges aren't very good you've got to really rosses are kind of like the schmidt cassegrains you got to really work to keep those collimated and you move around and the camera tilts different and it just pulling on that glass it'll cause one of the corners to come out a little bit um so fast is fun uh, i had one and i got rid of it uh you know the velo i can do f3 which is almost as good as f2 um and it's a lot less trouble, uh, you know, getting a getting a nice field where everything's in focus. So. Uh, I've got some more questions for you, Richard. Um, I haven't picked enough fights yet. The RC, I know. Yeah, the RC guys. So much crap for come this after episode. Me. Um, I know we only have a little bit, so I'll try to plow through some of these. Uh, what is Richard's opinion? Only RCs have no glass elements in the optics which is great for science data collection. No frequency of light is lost. Yeah. In 1907, <laughs> it's 2022. It, you know, they used to also say only shoot with prime lenses. I've been shooting with zoom lenses lately with the new zoom lens and they're great. There's really very little scatter. <laughs> you have a them. Canon R and you have not shot with a 2870 F2 zoom. Yeah. You should, you should, you <laughs> should try that. So, I, yeah, I'm being a little flippant. Yeah, it's not 1902. So, yeah, there is less glass. Um, if you're doing real science stuff, uh, you know, that's that's not the majority of people, and it's not something I do a lot of. And so you have to bear that in mind. Richard hates RCs. Well, Richard's 
what's what kind of work does Richard do? Richard does pretty pictures, and he likes doing lucky imaging. And um, as far as I believe, there's real science in pretty pictures. That's another that's another soapbox. Um, but yeah, if you have a very discerning technical need to use an RC, but you know, an RC that was a phenomena when it was developed uh, because it produced a very flat field, uh, very economically. Uh, but you can accomplish that today, um, you know, in, in, in other ways. Uh, you know, one of the problems with, uh, you know, with, with a refractor, you know, is, is, is keeping all the light focused. So you do have some advantages to using all mirrors. Uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying nobody should use an RC. I'm just saying most just people... A... There's most, a time and a place. Most so. people. Every time I run into somebody at a star party, <laughs> whoever wrote that, he probably could clean my clock in a technical discussion about what he's doing. But I can tell you that he's the anomaly. If I run into somebody at a star party with an RC, he could not explain uh, any reason why he's using an RC other than because it looks it's a phenomenal looking telescope and it looks sexy. Um, so there's, yeah, anyway. Uh, Richard, you might be able to handle this one. Best Astro camera for a Lunt 60 HA double stack. Because you had one. Um, I did. Uh, you want a monochrome uh, ZWO? Always, monochrome. always monochrome. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Just, there's solar. no. It, you're only getting one wavelength. There's no point putting a color camera on there. Uh, unless you just want to make your images harder to process. Or if you're doing live imaging of an eclipse or something then whatever but even if always you're doing, always yeah. always yeah always yeah. mono for if you're doing mono yeah you're doing narrowband imaging it's a mono um yeah a monochrome zwo or a monochrome plate uh player one that would be good i like the 174 um sensor uh because there's a global shutter and for high frame rate rate stuff i really like having a global shutter so 183 a, probably wouldn't be bad for a Lunt 60. Really mm -hmm. tiny pixels, very high resolution work. Yep. But you can get them for yep. $500 used. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, a 183 or 174 or the modern Player One chips. Player One's using some interesting chips that I'm not as up to date with. But yep. probably smaller pixels on the Lunt 68. Yeah, because it doesn't have much focal length. And it'd, it'd be nice to get a full disk image with that thing, too. Mm -hmm. And you can do it um, if you're careful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another question. Are you still using the Canon EOS RA? Do you continue to think that the DSLR mirrorless cameras are good? Yeah, they're great. Uh, I still have my RA. Um, I used it quite a bit at the Grand Canyon Star Party. I use, I use it mostly for nightscapes, though, and for... Um, wide field uh so i'll put a long camera lens on it uh so I, i'll shoot with like a 200 millimeter camera lens uh putting it on a telescope in florida it's hot here and hot weather is terrible for dslrs um in the winter time when it gets really cold i can use a dslr on a big nebula and on the back of a telescope and it works out pretty well but i don't like using uncooled cameras for deep sky stuff and so I, 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 it does work if it's all you can afford. In fact, if I had to get rid of every camera and I could only have one camera, it would be the RA. It, I would just keep that because you can use it for everything. Uh, but if you have the option, a cooled camera will outperform it, hands down. Um, it is a good way to get a really big chip 
for not as much money. Yeah. And then what I tell people, especially if you're getting started in astrophotography and you have to explain why you're spending the large amount of money that you are, get yourself a, mirror, a modern mirrorless camera because not only can you use that for your astrophotography purposes, but then you can use it for family outings too. So it's a double duty. Much easier to justify to your, your partner. <laughs> it doesn't even look like a camera. It looks like a can of soup with a thing on the end <laughs> and a plug. Where'd the, where'd the progresso soup can go? So, um, that's a great idea. If, like, you want to prevent your camera from getting stolen? Go get a Progresso soup can and just slide it over the top of it. Um, this kind of relates to the neck, the one above. Uh, with a DSLR, what's roughly the max ambient temperature you would wreck the cutoff of using it? I think that's kind of tough. Uh, that's a very subjective thing because it depends on what you're shooting, too, uh, with it uh, and how long your exposures are. If you're doing very short exposures, you could probably go up pretty high. Um you know, in Florida at night, sometimes the temperature at night in my backyard is 90 degrees and I can't use a, I can't even begin to, I can't use an S there's no point even trying to do anything with a DSLR when it's 90 degrees. When it gets into the sixties, I'll start considering it again uh, at my dark sky site. And usually mm -hmm. it's cause I'm working on the plugin or a, I'm, a, you know, it, a DSLR is also very convenient as far as um, if you have a lot of telescopes um, it's the, the back focus is the same and almost everybody's got a Canon adapter and I can slap it on the back of a telescope. So it's really great to compare two telescopes to put my DSLR on both of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I still, I, you know, it needs to be at least in the sixties uh, before I'll, before I'll do that. Just my personal take. Somebody out there yeah. got an APOD with the camera at 85 degrees. And that's great. I'm happy for you, but yeah, I won't try that. Um, uh... This was uh, from the gentleman who was asked about the RC. For tiny galaxies, which telescope of longer focal length is recommended other than RCs? Which, I don't think it's so much about focal length at this point. It's about image scale and your pixel size. That, what... That's right. There, there's a subtlety there. Uh, what you want is high image <laughs> scale, not focal length. So you compare the focal length to the size of the pixels and the spot size that your optic will deliver and the seeing conditions at your site. So you got to weigh all of those together. And rather than using, if I was hunting galaxies or doing a galaxy survey or doing galaxy supernova searches, uh, I still wouldn't use an RC because I wouldn't want to collimate it when it needs to be collimated. I'd just buy a big newt, a big imaging Newtonian. Yeah, if you could get that. If you can aim for that 1 to 1 1.5 arc seconds per pixel, no matter what you're using, I think that's really what you want to be aiming for, is achieving mm -hmm. 1 to 1 1.5 arc seconds per pixel, probably if, at 1,000 millimeter. If, if you have an amazing sight, you can go to half an arc second per pixel. And even with yeah. an amazing sight, I'd still, I would, me, I would just use a big, bigger Newtonian. Now, Newtonian's big and long, and the RC is nice and compact. But if I'm if I'm looking to detect galaxies, I might also just settle for a Schmidt Cassegrain or for one of the the uh, Edge HDs. Get get a big 14 inch uh, Edge HD or something. Um, That's what um, a gentleman and, here in the chat use that. He uses a C14 Hyperstar at f2 with yeah. an ASI 6200 for asteroids. So it's yeah. not really about is this better for this or this is better for that. I mean, it kind of is, but you're really kind of trying to adapt. You need to ask yourself what you're trying to achieve 
mm-hmm. and then adapt the tools to yeah. achieve that goal, which and, I think a lot of people miss is they're like, I just want to take pretty pictures. It's like, okay, that's the goal. Yeah. How do we get there? These are just tools. Telescopes and imaging and equipment and whatever are just tools. Lock the mirror down on that thing and put another focuser on the back that moves the camera. Don't try to use that little thing that moves the mirror in the back. But you're going to be yes. out of collimation all the time. Um, and I had an H- Edge HD nine and a quarter. I got rid of it for no reason other than I had too many telescopes. It was a great, it's a great optic. If I had it, I would probably still use it from time to time. The nine and a quarter Edge. If you actually look at like the white papers that. Uh, Celestron yeah. produces. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually the best one. But put a reducer on it if you're doing deep sky. Put a reducer on it. Just... Um, couple more questions, and we're gonna shut it down. Um, opinion on the Red Cat 51, which is 250 millimeters with the IMX 585. That's 2.9 microns. Now I did the math when we were talking on this one. That's 2.39 arc seconds per pixel what's your that i mean at 250 millimeters it's kind of like that i think the red cats are i don't really i think they're great it's a nice economical way to get a short focal length um personally as i like to do regular photography and i do a lot of wildlife photography i would not consider a red cat only because i have a 200 millimeter and a 300 millimeter and a tele extender i already have that focal length available to me you know, by other means, um, with a, with a camera lens, it is certainly more affordable than a camera lens. And unless you spend a lot of money on the camera lens, you're probably not going to get as good a correction as you would from the red cat. The red cat is designed as an astro. It's basically a very tiny refractor and it's designed to give you a a nice field all the way across. So there's some advantages to that. When I shoot with a regular camera lens, I also shoot wide open and I'll put an ap- a round aperture mask on the front to keep from getting the diffraction uh, from that. But I go to that trouble. If you have a red cat, you don't have to go to that trouble. So um, they're fine. They're great. A friend has one. Uh, I'd buy one, but I don't need one. Yeah, I definitely think they're a very nice little instrument. I've mm-hmm. seen them. They're adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they can handle some major sensors as well but yeah i probably would go with richard if if you are a photographer and you already have like a nikon or a canon 7200 2.8 try it why bother just get an aperture ring don't shoot through a zoom lens yeah in 1987 that was true but zoom lens is a good zoom lens don't buy a 30 dollar zoom lens at a flea market or off from china and but micron wise between the 585 and the red cat you're at 2.4 arc seconds per pixel for wide field yeah even even a even a mediocre optical design is going to be fine with you know two arc seconds per pixel Mm -hmm. so So, yeah that's not very challenging that's i think you're good there Mm -hmm. uh last question opinion on planetary camera with smartphone cooler i don't know what that means it may have been autocorrect uh okay planetary camera with a cooler i guess i have a 174 cooled i use that for planets yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah like i said i i prefer uh the the global shutter um it really matters more if you shoot in the moon that does the planets but it's a global shutter and i i can't i don't want to have 80 cameras so you know try to consolidate that's my color camera so when i do when i do color lucky imaging I use my 174 cooled. 
there that, you go. And that works. That's great for planets and the moon as well. Well, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that pretty much wraps us up. We were we passed our hour. So um, if you guys have any more questions, you want to know more about Richard, uh, what is it? Eveningshow.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Evening you can go show. to Richard's website. Check that out. Um, we'll be back next week for another what's up webcast of what's up for the month. We'll be showcasing the cool images that we got for the first month of the totem. Uh, and, uh, we'll release what next month's challenge is going to be, which should be fun. Um, other than that, have a great weekend. Um, if you guys are in Tucson tomorrow night, I'll be at star Arizona with the 28 inch. Come by, say hi, take a view. We'll be hanging out. Um, and yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Clear skies. And thanks, Richard. And we'll uh I did promise lots of hot air. There you go. (laughs) Ta-da. All right, everyone. Have a great weekend, Richard. Thanks for hanging out. We will see you guys next Friday. Clear skies. Bye. Bye.